if you don't have long-term goals that are specific to wants of yours, then I really don't know what you're doing. Because Hmm. if the only thing you're going to focus on are short-term goals, or you're going to call a year or three years long-term, well, I think that's what you should be focused on in your business, right? But I'm not talking about just your business here. I'm talking about you. And if you don't have these longer-term goals, you are going to get so wrapped up in three months, nine months, one year, two year, three year, that you're never going to look beyond that. And you owe it to yourself to look beyond that. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our leadership, develop our teams and scale our business in a way that allows us to get our products and services out to the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner, your host. On today's episode, we have Mike Malatesta. I first heard about Mike listening to a podcast I listen to regularly called Built to Sell. If you go and search Mike Malatesta, Built to Sell, you can hear the backstory of how he actually went through the selling process of his company, which we touch on a little bit here. He has a great podcast himself now called How Did It Happen? And then we talk about his book that just recently came out called Ownership, How Getting Selfish Got Me Unstuck. I wanted to have Mike on because I loved his episode so much and started listening to his podcast and then picked up his book. And I think you'll get a lot out of this episode and the things that he has to share. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Mike Malatesta. Have you ever tried online marketing before and weren't sure if it was working? Maybe your rep talked about all the impressive features and stats and said things were going great, but you didn't know how all that tied into raw new policies written. Well, that's not the case with DirectClicks. DirectClicks is the premier Google ads and SEO option exclusively for State Farm agents. Why? They're 100% resource-oriented with an exclusivity guarantee. Every review call you have with your account manager focuses on what really matters to your business, and that's leads and call-ins received. Everything will get broken down to cost per lead received. By investing with direct clicks, you're going to free up time and energy to focus on what's most important in your agency and doing what it is you do best. This will be the best investment you make for your team by spending confidently and scaling your agency today with exclusive online marketing partner, Direct Clicks. Visit us at directclicksinc.com. Ambition is the first step towards success. It's time to level up your agency. And Coach P Consulting will help you do just that by using the same strategies he used to sell over 700 life insurance policies in 2021 alone. Now, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look behind the scenes of his team training and an office that's performing at the highest level. There's a reason Coach P Consulting is the fastest growing coaching company for insurance agency owners in the country. Coach P will train your team alongside his own and show you the exact steps they're taking to achieve Chairman Circle, Exotic Travel, and Multi-Line Presence Club and be one of the few agents to be selected to have a third office. So whether your goal is to be at the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and the tactics to get there. For just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level and his strategies work and it's time to put them to work for you. Sign up at coachpeakconsulting.com and get your first full month for free when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Mike Malatesta, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So we always start with background and origin story. And since I was sharing with you earlier that I am a listener to your podcast, I get to flip it on you now to say, how did it happen for you? So why don't you just take our listening audience back and kind of bring them a little bit about your story? Sure. So I'll start with my professional story, and then you can tell me if you want to go somewhere else with that, Bradley. I became an entrepreneur when I was 26 years old. So I've been at this for about 30 years, and I came at it sort of 
accidentally really, because out of college, I had gotten a job with a big company and I thought, this is great. And I was moving around and I was moving up and I thought, man, one day maybe I can end up running this company. And about five years into that journey, when I moved four times and I kept, like I said, moving up a little bit, my boss came to me one afternoon. In fact, it was on St. Patrick's Day in 1992. And he told me that I was fired. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I didn't know what to do with that. And my immediate reaction after I felt sorry for myself was to get another job. And so I started looking in the newspapers at the time and I found another job and it was sort of in the same industry I was in and it was close by to where I was. And I thought, oh, this is great. It's like a great <laughs> rebound. And I take that job and 30 days later, I have to quit that job because I got hired by the entrepreneur who ran the company who I thought I could really work with, but I didn't get a chance to work with him really. I got placed with his sort of second in command, a guy named Don that just kind of had it out to make my life miserable. I don't know if he saw me as a threat to him or whatever it was. He just treated me very poorly. 30 days doesn't sound like much time, does it, Bradley, to check something out? And I felt horrible about it, like a loser, like horrible for me. Like I'm a loser. I can't even like, grit through this. But the final straw came. I'd had this pit in my stomach driving to work for at least two weeks. So two weeks in, I started having this pit in my stomach like I was doing the wrong thing. And the final straw came when I showed up one morning and Don had emptied a bunch of paperwork from the file drawers and stuff all over that we were working out of an office trailer type thing all over the office trailer that he had left the door open so they could blow out. And then when I got there, he told me that I had to go pick them all up. And I said, okay. And I went and I picked them all up. And of course, as I was doing it, I was gritting my teeth. I brought them all back in. I put them all back. And then I just called up the guy that hired me and I told him I couldn't work there anymore. And so I was feeling like a two-time sort of loser. I had a lot of shame going on and I just didn't know what I was going to do. And just out of the blue, and it's amazing how stuff happens to you sometimes out of the blue, but this fellow named Butch Weiss, who I had worked with at the company I'd been fired from, he got a hold of me and I didn't even know Butch very well, but he got a hold of me and he said, Hey, this is what the message was. Hey, if you want to start a business, I would like to partner with you. And I was like, where does that come from? I'd only known him or worked with him for a little over a year. I get fired, yeah. walked out the door. I get another job, which he didn't even know, but I get another job. I can't even hack that. And here's this guy sending me a message like that. And it was the first bit of confidence that I had in a couple of months. I was just feeling really bad. So long story short, we end up starting a business together, a waste management business where we focused on helping factories deal with contaminated wastewater. We were basically a trucking company and we would drive our trucks into a factory, suck the wastewater into the truck and then take it to a water treatment facility. And that's how we started. And we had that business for 22 years. And over the course of that time, it grew into a pretty nice size business. And we had an opportunity in 2015 to sell that business to a publicly traded competitor. And we did that. So then I worked for that company for a couple of years, and then I had an opportunity to partner with a private equity firm after my non-compete ran out, and we built another platform in the waste industry, putting together a series of acquisitions that we made, and then putting in systems and management and all of that stuff. And about three years after we got that off the ground, we sold that business for a really nice return as well. So that happened in late 2021. and. So that's like the short professional story. Tell me if you want me to go somewhere else and I will. No, that's great. So what I'm really curious about, I want to go back because in listening to your podcast, which I highly recommend, we'll put the links in the show notes. And also in reading your book, Ownership, How Getting Selfish Got Me Unstuck. When it comes to who you were in 1992, I'm really curious about your personal evolution as a leader to go from where you were and have feeling like a loser and then somebody asked you to start a business with them and then building to, heard you on some other episodes, $45 million company with 150 employees, et cetera. I mean, you don't do that by just staying where you are personally, right? I don't know if the business can grow and outpace 
the skills of the leader. Can you just talk about like your own personal growth and how you grew during those years as a leader and as a person? Yeah. So for whatever reason, I believe that I was born and or trained through the experiences that I had to be a person who could effectively lead a company to about 10 or $15 million in sales and have 70, 50, 60, some team members. And then here's the reason I believe that, because I had this idea that if I just said yes to everything, and then I just found the time, energy, experience, education, or whatever to be able to act on everything I said yes to, things would always be good. And that worked for me up until about that level that I described, Bradley. So I think I was built for that. You know, not to say that it was all me, but I was built to assemble a company that could get to that and lead a company that could get to that. And then I was out of gas. I really was at a point, and I described it in the book as a place I call the Valley of Uncertainty. But I dropped into this valley where I didn't know what to do. I mean, I'd had a lot of things happen to me that helped get me in there, but I was stuck in this valley, sort of looking in the rearview mirror and saying, man, I don't know that I can really deal with any more of that and not looking through the windshield and trying to figure out, well, how can I deal with this and actually break through, get myself where I need to be, become the person that I need to be in order to take this organization where it can probably go. So that's sort of the high level evolution. And I can go into any details that you'd like to on that. I've heard you mention for somebody else, 10 million may not be the valley of uncertainty for them. It may be 500,000. It Mm -hmm. may be a million. It may be 250,000. I mean, I do agree that at some point, people, business owners become hardwired with just some abilities, whether that's sales ability, persuasion ability, organizational ability, et cetera. For you, that happened to be eight figures and roughly that many team members. And I know that you've spoken about how valuable professional development was, strategic coach, YPO, Vistage, et cetera. Why do you think that we as entrepreneurs and owners need to look outside and get around a select peer group of people to be able to take us to the next level? Why was that so valuable for you? Well, the funny thing about that is it only became valuable to me once I made myself aware of it. In other words, not that I wasn't aware that there were other groups out there and other people out there that could help me, but once I became aware that I needed the help, self-aware. It's funny what you said there about it can happen at different levels. And that is so true. So for me, I sort of distill it into here's when it happens. You start the business and you're in what I call this dream stage, right? And everything's going to be rosy. Everything's going to be great. And you are so sure that what you're doing is going to be successful that everything that happens to you, you take as a positive sign of progress. And for most of us, at some point soon, that dream starts to disintegrate or blend itself into what I call grind. And it's the grind part of it that starts to not only disassemble the dream, but it also starts to really hammer away at your confidence. And when you don't have a dream and you don't have confidence in what you're doing, the likelihood that you're going to drop into what I call the valley of uncertainty gets really, really high. So for me, to answer your question, I was a type of person who was the biggest fish in my little pot. And the reason for that was like I was saying on my evolution as a leader, I was really good at fixing things. I was really good at sort of being the hero. I was really good at putting everybody's needs in front of mine. That's how I felt that I was being useful to the business and valuable to it as well. And what I didn't see all of that time was that I was building these metaphorical walls around my business and myself into which I was as I mentioned, like the biggest fish in the pond, I was sort of the hero. And I was delusional about needing anything else, like any other help. I thought asking for help was a weakness. 
I just thought I could work through it. Always, I thought I could work through it. I could just work harder, work more. I could learn something. I could do whatever I had to do. And it wasn't until Butch, my partner, who came to me with this idea to start a business, it wasn't until he died that I became aware unmistakably that this plan that I had, this vision that I had concocted, and this ability that I thought I had was completely worn out. And so for me, dropping into that valley, Bradley, was actually, it was a horrible thing, but it was actually the greatest thing for me when it came to finally opening myself up to resources that are out there that could help me become the leader that I needed to be Mm. in order for the business to become what it could become. And since that time, I'm completely convinced that breakthroughs don't come from the people that you work with every day. That's not where Mm. breakthroughs come from. Breakthroughs come from the people that you don't work with who have other experiences and shareable experiences that are so different from yours, but you can incorporate into yours. People that have systems in their business that you never thought about, people that understand how to solve a problem by hiring someone, for example, to solve the problem for you instead of you spending all your energy trying to work through something that someone already has the answer to. And if I had gotten into that sooner, Bradley, which I think is the maybe the genesis of your whole question, I know for sure that I would have been and our business would have been more successful, both businesses, than they were. I just know that for sure. Unfortunately, it's the way life is, not just business, that we learn the most through failure and we learn the most through the most challenging times in our life. And that's certainly absolutely a part of my own story that I've shared on different episodes. I mean, the worst moment of my life is summer of 2000 and 2015. And just where I was personally, where I was professionally at that point, and was totally overwhelmed, completely burnt out, literally 34 years old, found myself in the hospital. And Mm. yet that was my valley of uncertainty. (laughs) Uncertainty was putting it lightly. For you, it was your business partner who actually asked you to partner with them years ago, years earlier, for you to then reach out there's somebody listening to this that they don't have that experience right now. Things are going really well, okay? Mm -hmm. The business in the last couple of years has taken off. They're more profitable than they have been, et cetera. So they say, yeah, that sounds good. Let's move on to another topic. But I think that there's a way for us to say like, hey, when things are going good, maybe that's exactly the place we should be reaching out and joining these groups, Mm -hmm. professional organizations, so that we don't see as, I see that you've got the Chris Voss book back there behind you, Black Swans, like unknown unknowns. Like we don't know what's coming around the corner, like the blind spots. Can you just kind of speak to that in the importance yeah. of not waiting until we're in a crisis? I'll speak to it very directly. So when I was going through this, and even when I was in the Valley of Uncertainty, if you were on the outside looking in at me, you never would have known it. You would have thought, wow, that guy's got it all. And so that's me. Now, I've been around hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs, and I can tell you that 99% of them who on the outside look good, great, even someone that you want to model and are saying, I don't need any help. I'm good. Things are going great. When they stop and they just are by themselves, that is probably not true. Mm. There is something going on. They know that there is something going on, meaning some improvement they could be making, some problem they don't know how to fix, some appearance that they desperately want to keep up for whatever reason, and they're afraid. But you can't be afraid at a networking event. You can't be afraid in front of a client. You can't be afraid in front of your team. But when you just stop and you're all by yourself, if you can say to yourself, you know what? I've figured it out. I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly how to get there and I can do it all by myself. There are very few people that I think in that alone space could answer that question and say, yes, that is how I truly feel. So for people who are feeling like that, I'd say if that's how you're feeling and you believe it, great, still go out and find people that can support that feeling of you because business, life, employees, all of that will take it away from you at some point or for some period of time. And Mm -hmm. the more that you can get surrounded by people who are building your confidence outside of your business, the better off 
you're going to be. And those are the type of resources that we're talking about. They're not only showing you new things and doing all that stuff, but they're building your confidence because they're like you. Mm-hmm. They're like you. And there aren't too many people like you. Yeah. We call it MIT. What's the most important thing you do for your business, for your team, and for yourself? And the most important thing I think you can do for yourself is to protect your confidence. I totally agree with you that business is hard and gets harder, right? It gets harder, I think. So I want to ask you to share the story about Butch. And then I'm going to get tactical around something around that that I think will be beneficial for our listening audience. So obviously, Butch died tragically. You can kind of share some of those stories and then kind of what happened there and just kind of how that put you into that valley of uncertainty. But there's one part of that I want you to just address, and that is the buy-sell agreement you had with him. And the reason I want to address that is a large part of our listening audience, not everyone, but a large part of our listening audience are insurance agency owners. So they are business owners themselves. Some of them have partners. And then number two, they are also meeting with business owners regularly, and they bring this up. And then often the business owner shoes it away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a someday thing we'll get to. Can you just talk about how important it was for you to have that policy in place, why it was important, and just speak to them why we as business owners should have that? Yeah. Can I say one thing about confidence before I answer that question? Please do. What you said there, I think, I hope everyone is listening to because confidence is the most important thing that you can have. It's more important than courage. Courage is sort of intermittent. Confidence mm-hmm. is, is all the time. You know, I just spent the weekend with my mom. My mom is having some health issues and she's on oxygen, right? So she's mm-hmm. on oxygen. She doesn't like it, of course, but she's on oxygen and she's got this machine in her house and it basically sucks in the air from the house and it converts it into pure oxygen. And I never thought about this before, but when you were saying that, I was thought, see, that doesn't happen in real life to an entrepreneur. Confidence doesn't just get created in your own environment and keep feeding you. Your own environment Mm -hmm. does the opposite. It takes confidence, sucks it through a machine, and spits back frustration. (laughs) It's just kind of the way it is. So yeah, getting that confidence builder, that machine or whatever, is the most important thing you can be doing. And the best way to do that, in my experience, has been to get people around you who aren't trying to take any of your confidence. All they're trying to do is support you. Do people recognize your agency brand? More importantly, do people care about your brand? At Relevant Marketing Solutions, we partner with you to clarify your message and deliver it through multiple marketing channels, creating a brand that inspires. With over 10 years experience working with insurance agencies, our team can help your agency not only get noticed, but start cultivating brand champions. From creating a logo to putting it on a coffee mug, We are your one-stop shop for all things marketing. We can even produce a video of you drinking out of your cool new mug. Visit us at relevantadvantage.com to learn more. And if you're a State Farm agent, you can also find us at sfagentpromos.com. And be sure to enter Club Capital at checkout for a special discount. That's Club Capital, lowercase and no spaces at checkout for a special discount. Relevant Marketing Solutions, helping you cultivate brand champions. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue, increase your bottom line, and better manage your taxes? Club Capital is here to help. Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agents in the country, providing monthly accounting, tax strategy, and CFO services. Way more than bookkeeping and your everyday run-of-the-mill tax prep, Club Capital is focused on providing financial and tax advisory services that help you plan and forecast your agency's performance. Their financial dashboards and agency forecasting tools help you better understand your agency's historical performance, create and measure future targets, and see how your agency compares to your peers around the country. Imagine what it would be like to understand the impact to your bottom line when deciding to hire a new employee or forecast the impact rate changes or commission rates will have on your business. With over $200 million in tracked annual revenue and $140 million in tracked annual expenses, Club Capital has the data and the team to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. They will help you turn that back office stress into the backbone of your agency's success by giving you the tools to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book a solution overview with one of our business consultants. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. Now. To answer your question about the buy-sell. So imagine that you're 
partner. You don't have a buy-sell because everything's good. You're young and healthy and all that stuff. And the business is going good. And why should you worry about that kind of planning? You know, it's kind of morbid and it's not fun to deal with all those things. So imagine that you're going along and without a buy-sell and something tragic happens to you or to your partner and one of you is gone. So there's tragedy enough, right? Because your partner's probably each fill a vital role in the success of the business and all of that. So that's huge. Like, how do you cover that? And then you get this, whatever percentage of the business your partner owns now belongs to their spouse or their child or whomever they've designated as their beneficiary, let's say. And you don't have the money to pay for that. So what do you do? Or you don't have a mechanism in place for valuing what those shares are worth at any particular time. What do you do? So you've got the loss of your partner. You've got the loss of this important person, not only in your life, but to your business. And now you have an obligation to make someone whole for those shares that you probably don't know very well. And it's even probably worse if you do, like if you're best friends with the wife or husband or significant other or whomever your partner was, and you have no mechanism for valuing the business. Where do you think that ends up? Not very good. Yeah. It ends up in a horrible place. There's the likelihood that you're going to get like, well, here's what I'm offering. And so it's important to have those things in place because you do never know when something can happen. It's an exercise that getting it in place is not painful, maybe painful to talk about, but it's not painful. Funding it is relatively easy. And the most, I think from getting back to confidence, both you and your partner or your partners know that if something were to happen, this is exactly what's going to happen. We hope nothing ever happens, but if it does, this is what's going to happen. We're going to make sure that the number one thing is that the business continues and isn't negatively impacted by this any more than it can be than it would be by the loss of the particular partners. And one of the hardest things I ever had to do was go to Butch's wife when we got the proceeds from the insurance that we used to fund our buy sell and give her a check for his shares. That was an incredibly hard thing to do, but you know what would have been a lot harder, Bradley? To show up and say, "Hey, you know what? Diane, we don't have the money." We don't have the money to pay you and we don't even know what to pay you. And please be patient with us and we'll get it figured out at some point or whatever, whatever dance you have to do, because just imagine that conversation. That's a worse one. So if that doesn't sort of bring home why this is so important, and it's not just important, it's smart. And then I don't have a better story to tell on it. My last question on that is your company was growing. Obviously, I don't know what it was growing year over year. I mean, you can kind of speak to that. The reason I bring that up is because when you put the buy-sell in place initially from the time it was in place to the time that Butch passed, clearly the value of the company increased. What is your recommendation for entrepreneurs, business owners who do this and do the work? How often should they be going back to it, reevaluating it? Because they could be left with a pretty significant delta difference that they're going to have to use cash or debt, et cetera, to make up the difference. Yeah. So I think it often depends on how quickly the business is growing. I think if your business is growing quickly or consistently, and I know all businesses are different, but say you're growing by a half a million or a million dollars a year, it probably makes sense to do that on an annual basis. So you can do it very simply have an outside accountant or you do audits or you do some type of review when that comes in, you check your formula make sure that everybody is happy with that. Make sure you don't have to buy some more insurance in order to fund it. That's the most important thing, making sure that the insurance keeps up with the value. I would say once a year is an appropriate time to do that. If you've got a business that is sort of just kind of you're happy with where it is, maybe you can stretch that out a few years. But And then I guess I would also just encourage the partners to, once you do have it, just talk to each other about it and make mm -hmm. sure. Like ours was a, basically the valuation was an EBITDA multiple and we had EBITDA for our purposes defined very specifically. Nobody could game it. We used outside parties to come up with the numbers so or validate the numbers. So it wasn't like, 
one partner had the numbers and was, and we priced the shares or the multiple of the EBITDA below what we thought was the market rate for that. So that if something were to happen, like it did, we were buying the shares at a slight, I'd say, discount to what they would probably be worth, but they would only be worth that if you could sell the whole company because you can't sell a minority interest, for example, in a business very easily to a third party. Right. Yeah. No, that's really helpful. And I hope that our listening audience, for those that have partners or considering bringing on partners, this is so easy to just pass by and I'll get to it one day until the one day comes and it's ultimately too late. And then furthermore, I hope that this is a reminder for the insurance agency owners to reach out to those business owners that you are doing really well. They're doing 20, 30, 40, 50 million, $100 million. And you think to yourself, oh, I'm sure they already have that taken care of. So I'm not going to be the one to ask them. Hopefully, this is a good example for you to do that. Okay. Can I just add one thing? So two things. One is you're probably right because the number of businesses where that happens and there is no buy-sell, huge. The other thing that they don't have, which is probably another opportunity for a partnership with agencies and stuff, is they probably don't have a trust agreement. And so not only do they have this hole in the buy-sell, but they also have a hole in estate planning. So you have two potential problems there. And again, imagine being on the spouse of the person. So there's no buy-sell, so you don't know what the shares of the company are worth, and there's no mechanism for paying it. And by mm-hmm. the way, depending on where you are from an estate death tax perspective, you could be hit with an additional estate tax bill, which by the way, has to be paid. So mm-hmm. just another thing I would throw in there because there's, especially as businesses get larger in size, you're going to definitely have to deal with two issues there. No, that's great. I'm glad you brought that up. All right. So I'm going to read a couple sentences from the preface of your book, and there's a reason for it. Okay. You start out and say, my Colby quick start score is eight. That score suggests that my natural cognitive tendency is to act quickly to ready, fire, aim, you might say. Well, mine is a 10. I'm a four, two, 10, two. So I can. (laughs) All right. So so I get that. Yeah. The reason I ask this is I really have uh, told you before, I really loved your book. I love listening to your podcast. So what finally got it out of you? What finally got it out of you to pull the trigger and to write the book, Ownership, How Getting Selfish Got Me Unstuck? So we're going to dive a little bit into the book itself, a little bit more than what we already have, but because I know we've touched on some key concepts. But how did you finally get it out of you? Because I think there's somebody listening, maybe the person interviewing you right now is has a book inside them that's trying to get it out. Okay. This is free coaching is what I'm asking for. Okay. Well, everybody should have a book inside of them that they want to get out because everybody's got a story that's worthy to tell and worthy to be shared. I was an English major in college and I didn't go into that because I wanted to be a teacher because that kind of thing or professor. I chose it because there comes a point in your sophomore year where they make you choose something. And I was like, I don't know, I'll just choose English. And so not much thought put into it. But once I got into it, what was so interesting about English to me was like, yeah, you have to read books and you have to write papers. But what's so good about it is because it teaches you to think and you can take either side of an opinion and you can write persuasively about it because you understand how to make an argument. So that got me interested in writing. And then I went to work and (laughs) that went out the door for a long time. And so in the late 90s, I guess, I started writing again, but I was only like writing here and there. And I just was like, someday, someday, someday I'm going to write a book. And then I was just putting stuff in, in a folder basically. And when Butch passed away, you know, and I fell into this space, I wasn't thinking about the future very much at that point. But one thing I was thinking was, okay, I really got to write a book, even if it's not about this or anything, I just have to do it to prove that I can. And then I put that away in a drawer for many years. And after I sold the first business, Bradley, I had all these goals that I had put together about five years before that, maybe a little longer. And what I would do between 40 and 50 and goals that I would do before between the ages of 50 and 60. And so these were really long-term goals when I put them out there and I had them laminated on a thing. And one of the goals was to write 
you know, five books. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, write five books. I haven't even written one. I got to get one done. And it was clear that I wasn't able to do it on my own. I was very disciplined and very all of these things in other parts of my life, but not in this. So I determined that I was going to write it. And the only way I thought I would do it was to get help. And so I hired a company called Scribe Media and I got into their program, which is called Guided Author. It means you write the book and they show you how to put an organizational structure in place to write a good book. And I followed their plan. And it took me a year of steady writing, starting with some of what I had, but then I scrapped most of that and started over and wrote all new stuff. But it was that, it was the being in that community with the assistance that they provided, that was enough for me to finally get it done. And it felt so good to finally get it done. So for me, that's what I needed. Now, I think going forward, I still may need some of that from time to time, but I feel like they gave me the playbook. They gave me the playbook on how to do it. And now I know the playbook. And now I feel like the next four books that I need to write in order to accomplish that goal, I know how to do it. And I know that I can do it. I know that I will do it. You know, there's one thing that's implicit in what you said that I think is so powerful is that you did not allow how to get in the way of writing down that you were going to write five books. Yes. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I know you know this now, you set the goal to write five books. Even being an English major, you had not written a book. And so you didn't allow that to stop you to say, no, I got to get this out because at the end of the day, whether it's myself having you on this podcast, somebody's going to listen to this, go and pick up your book and it's going to impact their life. It's going to impact their life. It's going to impact their business in a positive way because you were willing to put a goal out there first. Yes. And then ultimately that led into years down the road, you actually then doing the thing and finding a who, so to speak, right, to help you with that. But I think the first part is being willing to write that down as a goal without you knowing the strategies and tactics. And I think, again, as business owners, we like to say, okay, cool, I want to do this, but I don't know how to do it. So then we howl things to death. And I think that's great for quarterly targets, as an example. Can you just speak to that? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of nonsense around goals. You've got some, I'll just talk about entrepreneurs for now, right? So you got some that say, I don't have any goals. That's crap. We just do a little strategic planning and then because you never know what's going to happen anyway. And we just blah, blah, we just wing it. Right. And then you've got the people who say, I like the traction people, let's say EOS. Right. So I've got 30 day rocks. I've got 90 day rocks. I have annual rocks and I have three year goal, which I think is actually for business. That's great. Like, I think it's very necessary. And then you have people who say anything over three year goal or even a one year goal is just, is a waste of time. I'm not going to focus on anything outside of that. Yeah. Not going to do a strategic plan outside of that time. I'm not going to set any goals for myself. Here's what I think. As an entrepreneur, if you don't have long-term goals that are specific to wants of yours, then I really don't know what you're doing. Because mm-hmm. if the only thing you're going to focus on are short-term goals or you're going to call a year or three years long-term, well, I think that's what you should be focused on in your business, right? But I'm not talking about just your business here. I'm talking about you. And if you don't have these longer-term goals, You are going to get so wrapped up in three months, nine months, one year, two year, three year, that you're never going to look beyond that. And you owe it to yourself to look beyond that. Because if you establish those goals and you write them down, even if you are not working on them every day or looking at them every day or even regularly, they are out there and your brain is working on making connections to what it's seeing that help you not only with all your short-term stuff, but help you with those as well. And think about this. When your life as an entrepreneur ends, what's your future? And we quoted Colby and Who Not How and other Dan Sullivan-related things, but another Dan Sullivan thing is that an entrepreneur with money and with a lot of time and no goals is in a really bad spot in their life. And that (laughs) is true. So, And I'm not going to accomplish all the goals that I wrote down for those 10-year periods. And I'm going to add goals that I never even thought of during that time. So it's not like a concrete thing, right? It's not like if you don't accomplish them all, you're a failure. But if you don't have any out there, then 
you're wasting a lot of time and brain activity that's not working on those bigger, longer-term goals for you. Mm -hmm. Man, I completely agree with you. I just shared this with somebody, and I wish I could credit who said it because I would credit them. I don't know where I heard it or read it. But you can be grateful for what you have and still want more. Like you can hold both of those at the same time. This thing of like wanting more in your life, whether it's more experiences, more money, a bigger house, whatever, and still be grateful for the opportunities, blessings, and the things that you have in your business and in your personal life, et cetera. I don't see why those two things can't be held simultaneously. And the second thing is, I think it, what you said is so important about it's really good. Like I'm very familiar with EOS, scaling up, whatever framework you want to speak to about, yes, yeah, setting these things for the business. But what are you doing? And are you allowing yourself to dream and actually write down, like, what are the goals and things you want to accomplish over the next 10 years personally? Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's so true. And those things are outside of <laughs> your quarterly strategic plan with your yeah. founders, as an example. So, yeah. I want to ask you, as we kind of begin to come to a close, around in the book, you talk about your four fallacies. I think that would be great for you to touch on those, what those are, and why those are important. Sure. So when I was in the Valley of Uncertainty, and I was there for a few years, I was, at the beginning, looking for someone to blame. Like I didn't think I deserved to be where I was. I didn't think I would deserve to feel like I was feeling. I wanted somebody that whose fault it could be. I wanted somebody to blame. And I also wanted, I think I say this in the book, I, if that wasn't possible, I'd at least want somebody to come down, reach a giant hand down in that valley and grab me and lift me up out of there and dust me off and tell me what I should be doing, right? Mm-hmm. What should I be doing? And of course, that never happened for me. But the epiphany that I had and the four fallacies are part of this, is once I acknowledged that where I was and how I was feeling was the result of a system that I designed and built, and it worked perfectly. I built a system and designed it to get me exactly where I was in this valley, Mm. feeling this way. Now, when I built it and designed it, and I use those two words loosely, I wasn't thinking about that they might not lead me to the promised land. (laughs) I was in the dream stage. I thought that everything would be perfect, but that's what happened. And once I acknowledged that, it was a bummer, but it was also like a catalyst because it made me believe that if I designed a system and built it so perfectly to end me up here, and this is not where I want it to be, then surely I could design and build a system that would lead me to where I wanted to be if I only knew where that was. So the fallacies, and I had a lot of fallacies, but the four fallacies are basically stories that I told myself all along my journey to the valley that were just not true, but I believed them. You can tell yourself a lot of things and start to believe them. They may not be factual. You can say they're true, but they may not be factual. So for me, it was like, I can outwork anyone. Asking for help is cheating, for example. That was a fallacy that I told myself. Like going back to school, when you are taking a test, you can't ask for help from somebody, you know, one of your classmates. I did that in high school. And you know what happened? Mm. I got suspended. <laughs> so asking for help is cheating in school. In business, it's different, but I didn't know that. The walls. <laughs> that, I don't want to interrupt you, but that is important. We could have a whole discussion around that, about the difference of how things are in school. Like you're rewarded in business for actually finding someone else, delegating things and asking for help. But yet in school, if my fifth grade son does that, no, he's going to get in trouble because he's got to learn it. So I think there's a lot to that. And I totally agree. But anyway, carry on. Yeah. So that stuck with me. I mean, we're not doing psychotherapy here, but that as I was going through and trying to figure things out, that was a story that really stuck with me. The walls thing. I felt like building walls around myself was the best way for me to focus on growing this business and being the best I can be without the distraction, for example, of things going on outside. Well, that was a fallacy that I was telling myself, but I believed it was true. So those are examples of how the fallacies impacted me. But ultimately, it was about really this belief system become self-aware that where I am is exactly where I'm supposed to be based on the system I've designed and built. And if that's the case, if I believe that, then 
I can get to work designing and building something that gets me to where I want to go. And that's when the breakthroughs start happening. That's how you climb yourself out of the valley. That's how you begin to know what you actually want. That's the byproduct of getting selfish to get unstuck. It's like you perfectly architected exactly what you got. And like you said, there's a humility, though, that you had to have in an awareness, self-awareness to say, okay, I mean, I've kind of built this. There's the Netflix documentary with Tony Robbins. I'm not your guru and I'm not going to get it right. But I mean, he basically said, like, if I can figure out what beliefs, values and rules, that's actually what he says. I can't believe I remember that. What are the beliefs, values and rules that control me? I could literally redesign me. Right. And he was like, I built this Tony Robbins guy, like the person you see, like I built him. And that has really stood out to me. And it made me think about kind of what you were saying. You were like, okay, well, I built this. That's not what I want. So then if I can do that, I can go and actually design and build what it is that I actually want. And you did. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Good parallel too. Thanks for comparing me to Tony Robbins. I'm grateful. You're welcome. (laughs) You You have a great voice and so does Tony. So there you go. There's another parallel. Yeah. And much different. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, this has been great. We're going to get into some E9 rapid fire questions, but okay, point people to your podcast, where they can pick up the book. And if they just want to be able to connect with you on social LinkedIn, et cetera. Yeah. The best place to find everything about me is on my website, which is my name, Mike Malatesta, M-A-L-A-T-E-S-T-A.com. LinkedIn, Mike Malatesta. Instagram, it's Malatesta Mike. I'm most active on LinkedIn, I'll admit. But yeah, you can buy the book on my website. You can listen to my podcast, which is How Did It Happen. I've got you know 250 plus episodes there. So I'd love you to, to check it out and follow me if the podcast is meaningful to you. Yeah, you can get a free chapter of the book on the website as well. And you can test drive it, see what you think. And yeah, and if you do get it, Leave me an Amazon review and or shoot me a note. Tell me what you think about it. And if I can help you in any way or any of your listeners with anything I'm doing, just let me know. Well, our listening audience know that I love to read. And so take it for somebody who reads a lot. Your book is fantastic. Okay. So oh, highly recommend. All right. Let's get into Enon rapid fire questions real quick to wrap up. What is the last book that you read? The last book that I read was, well, I'm just about finished with Will Smith's memoir. I am Will, I think it's called. I've read a lot of books recently, but anyway, that's the last one. Of all the books that you would recommend the most to other small business owners, entrepreneurs, what would it be? Can I say two or just one? No. So I would say Think and Grow Rich and the E-Myth. What is your favorite tech tool app that you use every day? My aura ring. Oh, yeah. Awesome. I've heard a lot of good things about that. Between that and a whoop. So listeners can let me know which one they recommend. My word for the year is health. So I'm trying to decide which one of those two I'm going to use. All right. 10-hour flight. Who would you love to sit next to, dead or alive? Ben Franklin. What is your most unusual talent? Oh, boy. I don't know that I have an unusual talent, Bradley. Pass. What's your hobby when you're not doing your podcast, reading books, studying business? What do you love to do in your spare time? I like to box. What's the thing you learned the most about yourself during the pandemic? That I have so much to offer the world. There's a movie made about your life. Who would you want to play you in that movie? I would like, that's an interesting because I'm trying to, well, Jason Bateman. Yeah, good. It is the leadership podcast after all. So what is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? Be kind. Mm, Love that. Awesome. Mike, this has been great. Hope to have you back on in the future. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate it, Bradley. Well, there's so many things that really stand out to me in that episode with Mike. I mean, number one is whenever he started to share the four fallacies. And I really encourage you to pick up the book because he goes into that in more detail, but also just the value of having people around you, the people that are willing to tell you the truth and also to be able to help you get out of that valley of uncertainty that you may find yourself in. I also think that whenever he started sharing about his time, whether it's strategic coach or Vistage or just getting around a peer group of people who are not specifically from your industry, 
look, there's a value in that. But there's also sometimes a groupthink that can happen to where everybody's passing around the same ideas versus whenever you go outside and you hear it from somebody who is in a totally different industry, and that can be so incredibly valuable. I know I can really attest to that myself. And one of the things he really mentioned there that I thought was just big is like courage is intermittent. Courage is intermittent. Do you have those times that whenever you really have the courage to jump off that cliff, you know, at the lake or something like that, and then there's other days where it's like, you know, I'm just not feeling it. I think he's so true. And I think business is that way as well. Really enjoyed having Mike on. Make sure you go to his website, connect with him on LinkedIn, MikeMalatesta.com. Pick up his book, listening to his episodes, pick up, start listening to his podcast. Hey, if you're listening to this podcast, you listen to other podcasts. So his is a good one. As always, big thanks to our podcast sponsors, Club Capital, Direct Clicks, Coach P Consulting, and Relevant Advantage. They're all first-class people, amazing, great organizations that would really be able to help you grow, develop, and scale your business. Go to directclicksinc.com to reach out to them, to talk to them about your SEO, your pay-per-click campaigns, and how you can stand out. Speaking of standing out, go to relevantadvantage.com and speak with Josh and somebody on the team there to be able to help you to really create some unique things that are going to really make you stand out in your community, not just the run in the mill. If you want to do that, that's totally fine. But if you really want to be able to have some quality giveaways, promotional materials for your business, go to Relevant Advantage. And you, we just talked about investing. And I do believe the power of investing in the development of your team on a regular basis, as well as you, but especially in the development of your team. None better than David Peterson and Coach P Consulting. Go to Coach P Consulting. Then reach out to somebody on one of the Club Capital Business Advisory Team Business Consultants. Go to club.capital. All right, everyone. Thanks for your loyalty. Until next episode, lead well.